It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, and we had nothing before us. Family, those are the opening words to one of those most famous novels that's ever been written in history. Some of you remember those words. They're the opening sentences from A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. It was written by him in the year 1859. Now, family, I'm certainly no literature expert, but those who are experts in the field of literature explain to us that those opening lines that I just read for you, those lines that, that set at each other these amazing contrasts, those contrasts are actually designed to set the scene for this novel as it opens. And that those, those stark contrasts are actually highlighting the realities that existed during the world at that time, particularly between two cities, London, England, and Paris, France. And it's in the context of those two cities with the time that was happening before and during the French Revolution. It's during that scene, that era, where Charles Dickens writes his famous story. But family, it all begins. A Tale of Two Cities opens with these stark contrasts set one against another. Now, family, we're opening our Bibles today to Luke chapter 7. And this message this morning that I've entitled for us, A Tale of Two Loves. And today you and I are going to study a face-to-face -face encounter that took place in the life of the Lord Jesus. And what's so fascinating about this particular face-to-face -face event is the amazing number of contrasts that appear as Jesus shows up and attends a very unique meal. And friends, what happens at this meal and Jesus' responses at this meal are truly remarkable. So I hope you'll go with your Bible now to Luke chapter 7, and today we'll be looking at verses 36 through 50. Now family, three different times, three times in the Gospels, we see Jesus eating a meal with certain Pharisees. And all three of those accounts where Jesus has a meal with a Pharisee, all three of those, it becomes an event marked by drama and a lot of intrigue. And it just so happens that one of those meals happens right here in Luke chapter 7. So friends, as we look at this event closely this morning, what kinds of incredible contrasts come forth here? What kind of spiritual truths does Jesus begin to reveal and unpack in this section and what kind of relevant applications can you and I learn for our lives here today? Well, let's go to God's Word here in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And I'd like to read this now as you follow along, so I hope you'll do that in your Bible. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet 
with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, friends, this is such a special text for us to study. First of all, this is a special text because Dr. Luke is the only gospel writer who records this event. Secondly, this text is special because of the spiritual truths that Jesus unleashes during this meal. These spiritual truths that come bursting forth, not only for Simon, not only for the weeping woman and for the people who are there, but for you and me still today, dear friends. So family, what incredible contrasts show up here in this amazing meal? What contrasts show up here? And what valuable truths can you and I learn for our Christian lives in the here and now? Well, family, as we step through the text here, can I highlight for us four incredible contrasts? The first one would be, number one, a contrast of two people. Here's number one if you're taking some notes today, a contrast of two people. Now, family, as Luke records this event, two people come to the front and center of the story. They're there alongside of Jesus, and these two people, the two main characters in this event, could not be more different. The first person we meet there in verse 36 is this Jewish religious leader. He is one of the Pharisees. He's a strict Pharisee. His name is Simon. Now, of course, when we study God's Word, when we read the Gospels, we discover that as a group, the Pharisees were not friendly at all toward Jesus. They were, in fact, very hostile toward Jesus. They viewed Jesus as a threat. Well, despite that tension... Jesus doesn't say no when Simon, one of the Pharisees, invites him to his home for this special meal. Now, of course, careful Bible readers want to ask the question of, was Simon's motives pure here? 
Was he pure? Was he truly being gracious to invite Jesus to this dinner meal? Uh, or, or was he trying to set Jesus up in some way? Was he trying to find a way to trap Jesus or, or to stir up some means of accusing Jesus? Well, we can't answer that question because the Bible doesn't explicitly say. But friends, as this story unfolds, we're going to discover that while Simon, this Pharisee, while he wasn't outwardly antagonistic toward Jesus, well, we're going to see that he certainly wasn't fully welcoming either. So here's this meal taking place. And family, we need a few cultural insights to truly understand the second character in this meal. We talked about Simon and the Pharisee that he was, but we need a few insights to help us understand more about this second character, this lady at the meal. Now family, back in Bible times, one of the customs of that era and of that day was when you hosted someone special in your home for a meal. When you hosted a special guest, perhaps a traveling teacher, or especially a rabbi, it was very customary in Jewish culture for you as the host to open your home. You're having a special guest dictated that you almost had an open house and you would allow people from the community to come in and they could come into your house and, and not necessarily gather around your table, but they could at least be in the room and they could sit up against the outside wall and they could be there. They could listen. They could listen to the teacher. They could maybe ask a couple of questions. They could interact and they could be there. You know, even poor people, could be invited. Even needy people would be allowed to come to those kind of open houses and the needy people would even come in. And they could interact with the teacher and even those needy people at the end of the meal, if there were some leftovers, then those special leftovers were passed out and shared even with the needy people who were present. Well, Luke tells us in verse 37 that in addition to Simon being there as the host, in addition to Jesus being there and the other invited guests, so comes into this group this woman of the city, as Luke describes her, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, friends, down through the centuries, there, have, there has been a lot of discussion, a lot of conjecture about the identity of this woman. Some people seem to think that she's Mary Magdalene. I disagree with that because Luke doesn't introduce Mary Magdalene until Luke chapter 8, verse 2. If this was Mary Magdalene, Luke would have just introduced her right here and not waited a whole other chapter to chapter 8. So I don't think, and most Bible scholars don't think, this is Mary Magdalene. Some people conjecture that maybe this is Mary of Bethany, Lazarus' sister. She also anoints Jesus' feet during the Passion Week, during the last week of Jesus' life in John chapter 12. But friends, that is a totally different event. That is at the end of Jesus' life. That happens in Bethany. But here we are at Simon's house early in Jesus' ministry, and this is happening way up north by the Sea of Galilee. So it's pretty obvious that this is not Mary Magdalene, and it's not Mary of Bethany. So the answer, or excuse me, the question always is asked, well, who is this woman? Well, the answer is we don't know. We don't know her name for sure, but what we do know for sure is her reputation. Luke describes her in verse 37 as a sinner. Now that is not Luke being cruel. That is how Simon, that is how undoubtedly the rest of the town looked on this particular woman. To describe her as a sinner means they put her in the lowest class of society. The lowest class of people who were well known for being unclean, 
uh, for being disobedient to the Old Testament law or holding on to some kind of immoral lifestyle. So, all that said, perhaps this woman was a prostitute. If she wasn't a prostitute, well, she's probably at least had a very well-known reputation as a sexually promiscuous woman. So, here's the first stark contrast, family, that just jumps off the page. You have a fastidious Pharisee on the one side, you've got a notorious sinner on the other, and you got Jesus Christ in the middle. So, what's going to happen? Well, notice secondly, a contrast of two actions. A contrast of two actions. Now, friends, I'd like you to think with me for a moment about some of the most common ways that you, as an American, typically welcome someone into your home. Even as an American citizen, there are a number of things that you and I do. They're not even written down. They're just customary uh, cultural realities that you and I walk through when someone arrives at our home. So just think. Take 10 seconds here and think. What are some of those well-known, even unwritten rules of hospitality that you typically show to someone when they arrive at your home? If I was invited to come to your home, well, first things first, I cross your doorway, you'd probably extend your hand and you would give me a handshake. If you really liked me, you might give me a hug. If you were a lady, you might give me a kiss on the cheek. Next, you would probably ask if you could take my coat. You wouldn't throw my coat on the floor. You'd hang it in your hallway closet and you'd show respect for my coat. Then you might even ask me to take my shoes off. Not because you're worried about me tracking dirt into your home, but because you want me to relax. You want me to feel at home. You want me to be comfortable. So you might invite me to take my shoes off at the door. And then you'd walk me in and you'd welcome me and you'd show me into your living room or your dining room and you'd ask me to pick a seat. You'd ask me to sit down. You'd say, you're welcome here. And can I get you something to drink? Can I get you a coffee or a water or a Coke? Well, friends, there were very similar kinds of customs when someone was invited into your home back during the Bible times. When a guest entered your home in the times of the New Testament, you would offer that guest a basin of water. That's the first thing you would do so that that guest of yours could wash their feet and wash all the dirt and the grime and all the dust of that Middle Eastern culture off of their feet. And then you would greet that guest with a kiss. You give them a friendly kiss on the cheek as a sign of friendship, as a sign of camaraderie. And then it was customary to take a small little amount of olive oil on the head of a guest, and it was designed to show honor. It was to show honor to that special guest who was in your home. Well, friends, all that to said, when we read Luke's account here of this special meal, did you notice that at no point in the account do we read any of those customs taking place between Simon the host and Jesus Christ, his special guest? In fact, as we progress down through this narrative, as we get into verses 44 and following, Jesus is actually going to point out that none of these well-accepted norms, none of these common courtesies were ever offered to him. But family, notice, in stark contrast to Simon's failure, 
You have Simon's failure to show these expected kindnesses. In contrast to that, look at the woman's unexpected kindnesses. Verses 37 and following, Luke writes that at some point during this meal, as Jesus and the other guests, they would typically have low tables, even lower than a coffee table in the Middle East, and people would recline in on their left elbow, and their feet would be sticking out, almost like all of us understand how a bicycle wheel, you have the hub of the bicycle wheel with all the spokes shooting outward. People would gather on their left elbow near this low-lying table. They'd lean on their left elbow so that they could eat with their right hand, and their legs and their feet would be shooting out from the center hub of the table, almost like a bicycle spoke. Well, at some point during this meal, this woman steps forward, out of the shadows, she falls down at Jesus' feet. She breaks off the neck of the bottle of this costly perfume, and she begins to anoint Jesus' feet with this perfume. Now, if that were not shocking enough, in a room full of people, Luke writes that this woman is weeping uncontrollably. She's crying. She's sobbing. Her tears are, are raining down onto Jesus' feet. So almost from a sense of being embarrassed, embarrassed about all this, and, and almost ashamed that she's raining tears on Jesus' feet, she, she instinctively takes her hair and she's wiping Jesus' feet. She's trying to dry off Jesus' feet as if her hair were a washcloth. Now, family, listen. Because the woman already arrived at this meal, she arrived at the meal already with her perfume in hand. Most Bible scholars agree that this woman most likely had encountered Jesus previously. She had previously encountered Jesus, and she had probably heard Jesus' teaching, speaking, Jesus' message of forgiveness, Jesus' message of cleansing to all those who would repent and by faith turn to God. So apparently this woman had encountered Jesus earlier. She had heard the message of forgiveness, a message of full cleansing by faith in Jesus, and she believed it. And she repented. And she had faith. And her life changed. And now she's here. In heartfelt worship, she prostrates herself down at Jesus' feet. And in this amazing display of gratitude. She's weeping, she's anointing, and she's wiping her tears. Friends, I can only imagine, can, can you, can you just imagine the shock of all this in the room? Can you imagine the shocked silence that kind of sweeps across this room? Everyone's there just stunned at what ha what's happening here. There's only one sound that can be heard. It's the sound of this woman weeping. And no longer do you smell the steaks. No longer do you smell the fresh bread. The only thing you can smell in this moment is the sweet odor of this expensive perfume. So family, Luke's unpacking a, an amazing narrative here. And we've seen two contrasts so far. A contrast of two people and a contrast of two actions. But notice thirdly, thirdly, a contrast of two attitudes. A contrast of two attitudes. Now, family, a few minutes ago when we were introduced to Simon the Pharisee, I explained that while Simon wasn't outwardly hostile toward Jesus, he certainly wasn't a devoted, friendly follower either. 
And that fact shows up clearly in verses 39 and following if you look there. We learn that in the middle of this shocked silence where everyone is just stunned at what's happening here, Luke tells us that Simon, the host, his self-righteous, judgmental spirit rises up inside of his own brain and not only does he start to have critical thoughts toward this woman, he also has critical judgmental thoughts toward Jesus. And Simon is thinking to himself. He says, my word, what is going on here? If this Jesus fellow was really a prophet, if he was really sent from God, then surely he would have known that this miserable lady blubbering all over his feet, this lady is a notorious sleaze in our town. She is sleazy. She is loose. She is a promiscuous woman. And if Jesus was really from God, he would have put a stop to this. And yet, isn't it funny? In a beautiful twist of irony, Jesus knows exactly what Simon is thinking. He immediately knows Simon's thoughts as Simon is thinking them. And in a twist of irony, doesn't that prove that Jesus was indeed a prophet of God? The fact that he was from God, supernatural, of course, and he is able to even know Simon's thoughts as he's thinking them. Well, friends, before we dig into Jesus' amazing response to Simon's judgmental, critical spirit, let's not miss the third great contrast here that's unfolding. Do you see here such polar opposites, friends, when you compare Simon's self-righteous, critical, judgmental spirit, you compare that to this woman and her humility, her reverence, and her worship. Here sits Simon, and he's reclining on his elbow at the table, and he has such a smug attitude filled with such personal pride over himself and who he is. And he looks with such condescension at this woman. And he not only judges her, he judges Jesus for not judging her. And yet, compared to him, look at the woman. She is here with absolutely no thought of herself, no thought of what anyone else might think of her. All she cares about is to worship with gratitude at Jesus' feet. Such humility, such appreciativeness is just bursting out of here. Do you see how humble she is? She is so humble. She doesn't even try to anoint Jesus' head. She's just happy to even be able to anoint His feet. Well, family, there's one more contrast here. Can I show it to you? Number four. A contrast of two loves. A contrast of two loves. Now, friends, one of the amazing aspects of Jesus' life and His teaching ministry, one of the great things when you read through the Gospels, you should always watch for this. Jesus knows how to flip the script on people. He knows how to flip the script. And here in verses 41 to 50, Jesus does exactly that. By telling this powerful little parable, and then He applies that parable to this situation. In verses 41 to 42, Jesus tells this parable, we read it, about a money lender. A money lender who loaned out money to two individuals. One particular individual owed a debt of about two years' salary. 
The second person also owed a debt, but their debt was only about two months' salary. And Jesus tells the story out of compassion, knowing that neither one of these debtors could pay their debt. The moneylender was gracious to forgive them both. So Jesus asks Simon there, do you see it? Jesus says, you tell me, Simon, at the end of the day, which of the two will love that moneylender more? Now, at this point, Simon has no idea. He has no idea that Jesus has already perceived his judgmental thoughts. Simon has no idea that the point of this parable is about to be directed at him. So he answers. He answers correctly. Verse 43, Simon says, The one who had the bigger debt would definitely show more love. Well, friends, look at verses 44 to 46, and look at what Jesus does there. Simon had judged himself a holy Pharisee, and he had judged this woman a lowly, despicable sinner. Simon had judged himself the hero and the woman the villain. But Jesus flipped the script. Jesus must have shocked Simon's sensibilities with this revelation that, in fact, it was the woman who was the hero and not Simon. Jesus tells Simon, I came into your home, Simon, and invited guests, but at every juncture where you should have showed me common courtesy and respect, you showed me absolutely zero love. You showed zero love. You provided no water for my feet, no kiss for my cheek, not even one drop of olive oil for my head. But look at this woman, Simon. Look at her. From the beginning of this meal, this humble woman has not, not stopped crying tears on my feet, wiping them with her hair, kissing my feet, and anointing them with the most expensive perfume. And Jesus is getting right to the point here with Simon. You perceive yourself as so holy, yet you did not show me even one ounce of love. And yet this woman here is erupting with love for me. Her love is overflowing because her sins have been forgiven. Look at verse 47. You ought to put a star by it. Jesus says the reason she loves so much is because she has been forgiven so much. So, Jesus looks at Simon and essentially says, so who deserves the praise here, Simon? It isn't you. It is her. And with that bold declaration, Jesus turns to the woman and He says, your sins are forgiven. And of course, that statement raises the ire of everyone in the room. They can't believe it. But Jesus doesn't flinch. And in verse 50, Jesus assures the woman again, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, friends, now that we've stepped through these four incredible contrasts, what is the so what for your life and for mine? What is the significance of this text to be applied to our lives in the here and now? What relevant truths are here for us? What principles and realities come out of this text for our lives in the present? Well, friends, let's direct our thoughts now towards application together. And let's, let's ask three relevant questions that apply to all of us. Here's number one. How do I see sinful people? 
compared to Jesus? How do I see sinful people compared to Jesus? You know, friends, when we watch this story unfold, there's such a difference, isn't there? Such a contrast between the the judgmental, critical spirit of Simon versus Jesus. The welcome spirit of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus. Here's this woman whose whole life had been wrecked by sin, broken by sin, and Jesus does not scold her in any way. Jesus doesn't scold her, confront her. He didn't tell this woman, why don't you go off and get your life cleaned up first and then come back and see me. He he never said that. Christian friends, what a challenge this is for you and me this morning. What a challenge this is for us in the here and now as Christians to think about our perspective when we bump up against broken, sinful people. Listen, when sinful people come into your presence, when they come into our church, sinful people, broken people, dirty people, messed up people, weird people, when they even come into your church, are you gracious to them? Are you welcoming? Do you view that someone with compassion? Do you really believe that Jesus is the answer for them? That Jesus is the answer to their sins? Jesus is the answer to their brokenness? When that person comes into Grace Baptist Church and they look a little off, they seem a little weird, you know, and they've got ripped up pants, maybe they got stains on their shirt, and maybe they stink. Maybe they stink like cigarettes or liquor or marijuana. Are you welcoming? Are you friendly? Are you open to them? Are you glad to see them? That they're here searching. And you know that the answer is Jesus. Are you glad that they're here? Are you glad that you get an opportunity to introduce that someone to Jesus? Oh, family, shame on us when we're so quick to judge. Shame on us. We're so quick to criticize. We're so quick. We want to keep our distance from broken, hurting, smelly, wounded people. We need a reminder, Christians. We need to hear Matthew 11 again, where Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Friends, let's, let's ask this second question as we're thinking about the so what of this, the application, the contemporary relevance for us. Let's ask this second question. How genuine is my faith in Jesus? How genuine is my faith in Jesus? You know, family, when we see the way here that Jesus gives the divine approval to this woman, her humble heart, her affectionate actions, we see Jesus responding to her, but we need to make sure we get all these blessings in the right order because there's a whole bunch of them that that get mentioned here. Did you notice this? In this one narrative, you've got these different things all happening. You've got love, forgiveness, faith, and peace. All these things are kind of mixed together, but to understand them, we better put them in the right order. Just like a train has to have the locomotive up front and the caboose in the back to make things move, these things go in a certain order. These biblical realities have to be understood in the right order to see how they're working in action. So let's get it in biblical order. Maybe you'll jot this down. At some point, first of all, the woman heard Jesus' message of forgiveness She heard the message of forgiveness, that only through Jesus can be forgiveness and cleansing. 
So she heard the message about forgiveness, and what happened next? She believed it. She believed on Jesus. There was repentance and there was faith. And it was that faith that saved her. And so next, now she has a knowledge of the forgiveness. And based on that knowledge, she now has this outpouring of love. And Jesus is there. He not only reaffirms that she is forgiven, He reassures her that she's forgiven. He affirms that it was by her faith that she was saved. And it is only by faith that Jesus says, you have peace. Peace with me. Peace with God. Friend, let that be a reminder to us that today, even today, it is faith in Christ that saves. That is a truth that is still ringing true in the 21st century. Faith in Christ is what saves. It is not just having faith in faith. It's not putting faith in love. It's not faith in the church. It's not faith in doing religion. It's faith in Jesus Christ. That is where our faith is directed. Jesus is the object of our faith. It is into Christ that we are putting our faith. Romans 5.1 is in your notes this morning. Paul wrote there, Therefore, since we have been justified, or made right, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through, through, there's the means, our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you're really feeling weighed down by your guilt. You're feeling really burdened over your sins. You're constantly carrying around this shame of, of, of your life. All the bad choices, all the bad decisions, all the junk that's, that's just following you around. Friend, come to Christ. Come to Christ today. Come to Christ by faith. Jesus is not going to ridicule you. He's not going to condemn you. He's going to welcome you. He's going to love you. He's going to cleanse you and make you His own. And that's exactly what Jesus said in John 6. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out anyone who comes to me by faith. So friend, come today. Come today to Christ. Come to Him with that shame and the brokenness and all the sorrows that you've been carrying. And come to Christ. Believe on Him. Put your trust in Him alone. Only He can forgive you. Only He can make you clean. Only He can bring you the peace that you're looking for. Family, here's a last question for us. How large is my love for Jesus? How large is my love for Jesus? Friends, when, when Jesus reached the end of that potent little parable there in verse 27, did you notice Jesus puts the dart right in the bullseye in verse 47? The reason she loves so much is because she has been forgiven so much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Christian friend, can I ask you today, how large is your love for Jesus? Is it passionate? Is it vibrant? Is it a growing love that grows day by day? Christian, I'm asking you today, how often are you moved to tears because of the reality of the forgiveness that you've received from Jesus? Have you ever been moved with such gratitude, such love 
the forgiveness that Jesus gave you. Dear friend, have you forgotten, Christian? Have you forgotten what amazing grace has been showered down on you? When Jesus forgave all your sins, all your sins, past and present and future, all of your sins forgiven by Christ. Christian, have you forgotten that Jesus didn't just die for someone else? He died for you. He died for you, Christian, in your place, for your sins. So friends, what I'm saying is when you consider the colossal forgiveness that's been extended to you by Jesus, it only makes sense that you would love Him with a colossal love. Just as passionate, just as heartfelt as this woman weeping at the feet of Jesus Listen, Christian, if your love for Jesus has been a little lacking in recent weeks, then it's time, Christian, for you to reflect and ponder the profound forgiveness that's been given to you by Jesus Christ. Or friends, if we could say it simply, if we could say it in even a more simple way, we could say it like this. The size of your love for Jesus should match the size of your forgiveness from Jesus. The size of your love for Jesus should match the size of your forgiveness from Jesus. So Christian friend, as we close today, it really is that simple. Those who have been forgiven much will love much. So Christian, spend some time this week thinking and pondering and praying with gratitude about the amazing forgiveness that has been given to you in Jesus Christ. And friends, sure enough, as you ponder that forgiveness from Christ, your love for Christ will rise to new heights. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.